0: You know, preparations were made all throughout the time before Jesus actually came to the earth because there was this promise of the Messiah who was supposed to come. And so there were all these prophecies and all these things that were foretold about this coming Savior. And the idea of all these prophecies was to create a trust in God. And to create an expectancy. And so it should give you hope. Like you know that God is going to bring the Savior to the world. You know that he's coming. You don't see him yet. You haven't fully encountered him yet. But you've seen the fact that if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And so there's been this pattern that's been developed in history of this idea God says something, he fulfills it. God says something, he fulfills it. In other words, God is creating A trust factor that he is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be praised. And if he says he's going to do something, he ultimately will fulfill that thing. And so all these prophecies, all of these promises were pointing towards Jesus, which is what we're preparing our hearts to celebrate here in just a few days, the coming of the birth of Christ. And so it's this idea of a culmination of all of these promises that were fulfilled. And so he created this expectant people who had the faith to believe that god would do what he said he would do that he would ultimately solve the problem of the separation between god and man and that he would be able to reconnect man to his creator that god promised himself to make a special people for himself a chosen people he chose Israel as a people to bring this promise through. And over and over again, Israel rejected the promise. And still today, Israel as a majority is rejecting that promise. But it is those of us who actually believe, who now, not only do we have that faith to believe, but now also we have a new hope, a, a hope that not only that God Had promised to send his son, but that his son would return again. And that hope brings light to us. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 3, over where we can read about this idea of John the Baptist preparing the way. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, scripture says this In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his paths straight so john the baptist was helping to prepare the way he was helping to stir people to that place of hope and expectancy his message was one of repentance his baptism was one of repentance and the purpose of the repentance was for them to be baptized in order for them to be marked with an expectation, and allegiance, saying, I am repenting, I'm turning away from sin, in order to prepare my heart for the promise of the kingdom of God that is coming. And so John didn't know at the time that it was Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus was the one that was the fulfilled Messiah. Matter of fact, when he comes, all of a sudden John says, wow, the one that's now here, I'm not worthy to lace his sandals. And then the Holy Spirit comes out of heaven uh, like a dove. And then we see that as Jesus is baptized, God speaks and says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. And so we see this idea that very shortly after we read about John the Baptist that this next thing happened that shows that next step. But until that was actually fulfilled, John just kept preaching. Prepare, prepare, repent, expect. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, be baptized, align with this. This reunification between God and man. He was preparing people to expect Jesus. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that hope. And what this did in their day was it was helped position their heart to expect God to fulfill his promise. And that's where you and I need to be even today. We need to, put, to position our heart to expect God to fulfill his promise because we can look in the rearview mirror of what God has done in our own personal lives. We can look in the rearview mirror of scripture and history and see how God has made promises and how he has fulfilled those promises time and time again. Amen. And so we see how God has continued to move in spite of the circumstances in the world, in spite of human frailty and failures, in spite of morality, in spite of rejection and rebellion. It doesn't matter what people try to throw at God. He keeps moving forward according to his purpose, his will, his plan. And we can trust him that when there's something we read in scripture, when there's something that we see that is true of God, we can take that to the bank and we can know that it's good because he who has promised is faithful. And so our job as believers is to position our heart to expect what he said is true so that we can live like it is true every single day of our lives. We live in that reality right now. That's the beauty of it. We live in the reality of that hope that people once had that was fulfilled in this baby who was laid in a manger. We live in the reality of that. This baby grew up to become a man who lived a perfect and sinless life. And then this this man took the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross for you, for me. Now we live in the hope of a new promise, that promise that we have Is that we're now reunited with God and we will eventually, ultimately be reunited with him in his presence forever because of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, guys, this idea of this expectancy, it changes the way that I look at the circumstances I find myself in it changes the way that I look at relationships. It changes the way that I look at priorities. It changes the way that I look at even the bad stuff and the hard stuff, and even the way that I look at the good stuff. Because in this world, there is this wide road, and Jesus described it. He said there's a wide road that is easy for people to find. It's easy for people to get hooked up with this wide road, but ultimately it's going to lead to destruction and its end is death. Many people find this wide road. This wide road is a road that will uh, be very self-serving. This wide road is one that thinks about me, myself, and no more. This wide road thinks that I am getting to do my life my way and no one gets to tell me anything. This is a life of rebellion, not of submission, not of trust, One that puts me at the top of the totem pole thinking that I'm the guy who gets to direct the course of my life and I'm a self-made man and it's that same wide road that will lead people to always play this game by their own set of rules and everybody has a different set of rules. Some people think that they're living their lives to try to acquire a bunch of money and to have a bunch of wealth and I want to have the most money in my bank account and he who has the most in the end wins. Some people think that their goal in life is just to relax and enjoy things and just go and just do all of these and have all these great experiences. And so they live their life from moment to moment, from experience to experience, and that becomes their purpose. And they look for these experiences over and over again, and it's driving their life. Some people are looking to climb a corporate ladder, and they're trying to get to the top. So their end goal is to have the best parking space in the company, you know. Their goal is to drive the best car. Their goal is to live in the best house. Their goal is to have more than another person that they're comparing themselves to. And they will do anything by any means necessary to look a certain way, to be presented a certain way, to be a certain uh, degree of popularity or or well-known or well-liked. And they'll do all of these things to pursue this end. Even in our social media-driven culture today, people are chasing after likes all of the time. And they're just wanting to get more likes because he who has the most likes has the most money and wins. And people are chasing that. And Jesus said, that's a wide road. And a lot of people find that road and they think that's the right road to be on, but it leads to destruction. Jesus said, there's another road that's actually very narrow. He said, but it actually leads to life and life eternal. And unlike the contrast to this wide road, this road actually is found by only a few. Because it's not the natural thing we're drawn to. It's very counterintuitive to us, which is why we need to be born again, made alive, changed, transformed by the power of God. And that only happens through faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but it's now Christ who lives in me. And it gives me a different set of priorities in which I live my life by now. Now I'm out of the rat race. I'm not playing the game I used to play. I'm not chasing after the things I used to chase after. Now my aim is to please God. Now my aim is to bring glory to God. Now my aim is to live filled with hope that that hope might shine as a light to other people around me so that they too may find hope in Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are called to do, and that's how potent, that's how powerful the hope of Christ on the inside of you and I is. We must understand that we live in that now reality. Yes, we're expectant for the second coming of Christ to come and take us to be with him forever. Yes, we are expecting of that day, and yes, we look forward to that day, but yet also simultaneously while we're looking towards that day, We also understand our present reality, that if you are a believer, if you put your faith and hope in Christ, that you are in Christ now, present tense, and you will be with him forever. That's the beauty of being a a Christ follower, is that on the earth, it's not a, I'm gonna one day, it's a no, right now I can be forgiven, set free, be a son, be a daughter, be a part of the kingdom of God right now. The same thing that they were preaching about, that John the Baptist was trying to create an expectancy. You and I can live in that present reality now. But yes, we still walk through troubles. Yes, we still walk through trials. Yes, we still walk through difficulty. But we can be of good cheer, as John 15 talks about, because Jesus said, Guess what, guys? I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. You can be of good cheer. Because Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already bought and paid for your freedom. Jesus has already met the demands that the law required because he was the only one worthy to be the sacrifice. And he has done it for you and for me because God so loved the world. Amen? That is gospel good news. And it transforms the way I think. And it transforms the lens in which I look at the world. Because there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening around us. And I can easily get sucked into it. And I can easily get caught up into it. Because, man, there's all sorts of temptations around there. And there's all sorts of things that want to distract me and get me away from the hope that I have. But when I remind myself of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus anchors me. He becomes that foundation, that firm foundation that it keeps me focused on who I am and whose I am, and it causes me to have hope, and that hope that we have in Christ brings light, and it causes me to live in light of eternity. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn over there. We're going to read quite a bit of of this one, so I would encourage you to go over there if you have your Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 1, page 970. If you have page 970 in your Bible, that's going to be a good day for you and I. You'll be like, yeah, it was page 970. Woot, woot. Same Zs, same Bible. (laughs) If you have that, just give me a shout out. You're 970. All right. Okay, nobody has it. All right. Nobody has the same Bible as me. Okay, cool. All right, Ephesians. (laughs) That's not relevant to the message at all. Ephesians 1. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he greets them within the first couple of verses, and then he starts praying this beautiful prayer, and here's what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, so the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Check this out. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all of the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Man, when I read this, it helps position my heart to hope because what it does is it reminds me that we are chosen. That we are holy we are called to be set apart this is what you and i are called to we are called to be on that narrow road that few find because that's what he has called us to he's shown us his goodness he he's called us to be in right standing with himself Because we are forgiven, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are commanded and compelled to love, we are commanded to be growing in wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, and ultimately, we are to be trusting and submitting to the authority of Christ. Because Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the elder, it's Jesus, amen? It's Christ, it's his church, we are the body. You and I have different roles, we have different gifts, we have different functions, but it's one body, and you and I are called to share in the same spirit that Christ has put within us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in us, and it changes me. It should be transforming me. It should be stirring something in me, and it should be stirring hope. It should be stirring gratefulness and thankfulness. It should be stirring something in me that causes me to remember the gospel and it causes my life to be different than those around me. Because now I have a hope and that hope has infiltrated and affected every single part of my life. It's affected my day-to-day functions, my day-to-day interactions. It's acting now as a filter to help me understand how to live under Christ. And he said, this is something you grow in. The Apostle Paul, he said, I pray for you guys that you would keep growing in this knowledge of Christ. I pray for you that you would keep growing in wisdom. Wisdom, the correct application of that knowledge. I want you to not only just be hearers of the word, but be doers, like James says. So Paul is saying, I want you to grow in wisdom in applying this knowledge. I want you to grow in revelation. I want actually you to become more aware of how deep and how wide this love of Christ is. And how it's impacted you. How this gospel has stirred up within you hope. And it should impact you. And it should never stop impacting you. This is what Paul is communicating. He said, this is my prayer for you guys. That you would grow in wisdom. That you would grow in revelation, in the knowledge of him. That you would be stirred up. That you guys wouldn't just get complacent. Because isn't that the big challenge that you and I so often face? Is this hitting the cruise control button in our walk with the Lord. That we just get to a place in life where we get really comfortable. And we really like the way things are going. It seems manageable. And so we like to hit the cruise control button. And we're like, I have... My time with God over here and I have my everything else over here. We compartmentalize instead of seeing how this lens of eternity that you and I are supposed to be living with, this priority of sharing the gospel and making disciples, that it should be infused into everything we do, not just compartmentalize where I do this for an hour once a week. You see, that priority changes me, and, and God is constantly speaking to me and weeding things out of me and dealing with things in me, and sometimes I like it, and sometimes I don't, right? And God uses different ways. He uses different means to help us to grow in revelation and wisdom and knowledge, and some of those ways are, are really nice, and some of those ways are pretty rough, man, but he uses those things for his glory and for our benefit, for our good. Sometimes the Lord will use other people in your life. He'll send a messenger your way. Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ that loves you a lot. Maybe it's someone you've never even met before. But they'll share something with you that is probably placed on their heart from God. Or they're holding you to a biblical account or biblical standard to help you grow. You have a choice in that matter, man. When I'm held accountable, am I going to get offended? Am I going to get upset? Am I going to point fingers? Or am I going to go, no, this person loves me, and maybe God is using them to help me grow. Maybe they're encouraging me, exhorting me. Maybe they're helping bring correction. Whatever the case is, I still want to be submitted to the authority of the head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ, amen? Sometimes God will do this through his word, where he's transforming us by us reading the word. Have you ever read scripture before and you're even in something familiar that you've read maybe 50 to 100 times before and all of a sudden it just looks a little different to you. Something jumps off the pages and everybody always says the same thing. We all do the same thing. I've never seen it that way before. And we just, we have this, this aha moment or something that just grabs us didn't quite grab us that way before why because god is wanting to transform you and he's highlighting that or emphasizing that so that you can take that and actually apply it in your life walk it out and grow from that revelation paul says i want you to grow in more wisdom i want you to grow in more revelation in the knowledge of him Maybe it's even through a sermon, maybe through a teaching, maybe through even even today, the Spirit of God can work through different messengers to help highlight things and grab your heart in a different way, and the Spirit can work in that. And it's so funny when people come and talk to me after a sermon, and they'll say, oh, this was great, you were talking about this, and then another person says, oh, man, it's so great, you were talking about this, and it really impacted me, and they're two completely different things, and I'm like, and they're both in the same room hearing the same words. Because it's not about the messenger, it's about the spirit of God and what the spirit does in your heart, amen? Because the spirit can take that word from the Lord and can sane it through the filter of your individual life, your circumstance, where you're at, your maturity level, your understanding, your comprehension, your faith, right where you're at in that moment, and he can make it relevant and applicable to you. That's the beauty of it. And so I just sit back and go, Yep. <laughs> You know, praise God, because the praise has to go to God, because I can't get up here and preach to each individual person. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart for what brings God glory and what's going to do the most good in you. It's your responsibility to take what God is doing in these moments and actually apply it and live it out, amen? And it's up to our community of believers to help spur one another on to good works and hold one another accountable and keep encouraging one another, amen? Amen. That's what we do, but it's all under the lordship of Jesus Christ because it's his church. Other times, the Holy Spirit will lead you, and maybe there's something that he's wanting to get rid of in your life that maybe it's not the same thing as what somebody else that you know or that could even be sitting next to you is dealing with, and it's not even necessarily sinful for every single person, but maybe there's something in your life that has become an idol. Or something that has taken a lot of your energy and your affection and your attention. And you've given that thing so much attention that God is requiring that thing of you. Or he's asking you to lay that down or put healthier boundaries in place or have accountability. And the spirit will lead you because what's he doing? He's helping you grow in wisdom and knowledge of Christ by focusing you more on Christ. And ridding you of the things that are distracting you from focusing on Christ. And the believer should want to pursue Christ in that way, because we have a hope that's causing us to live differently. That hope is causing us to pursue transformation. That's one of our core values here at BCC. Transformation is our pursuit. Right now, God is transforming me with my phone. And I didn't realize it, but man, I have been wasting hours on my phone doing nothing, nothing important at all. If you see me on my phone, most likely I'm not doing anything important. (laughs) because a lot of times I'll get sucked in, you know, to watching, you know, some silly YouTube video or I'll get caught in this cycle of just, you know, creeping on you guys, you know, seeing what's going on in your world, you know, like just like, I don't know. Like there's all sorts of things that can just like send me down the rabbit hole of just wasting time. And I didn't realize it until the Holy Spirit started convicting me of it. And when the Holy Spirit started convicting me of it, I didn't like it. And this past Friday, Friday is when I I traditionally will take a day off, I had my journal. And I've been doing this journal rhythm lately that's really been helpful for me in in my growth and my walk with the Lord. And a guy who's mentoring me helped me to have like these different categories of things that I journal about every day. And one of the things that I always write in my journal is, Father, today I'm trusting you for dot, dot, dot. And I fill in whatever the blank is and I finish the sentence. And so when I say, Father, today I'm trusting you for, a lot of times it's been, help me stay focused on you and not get distracted by all of the noise. And a lot of times for me, this is just me, okay? The Lord has been telling me, Derek, put down the phone, right? And that's what he's been doing with me lately. And so I've been trying to be more intentional. And I thought it would be easy. Oh, It's not a big deal. You know that's what everybody who has a problem uh, says. You know, right? Uh, I, I can I can get rid of that anytime I want, and I set it down, and then all of a sudden, you know, start just twitching a little bit. I wonder, you know, I wonder what's going on. You know, I wonder if anyone's posting any uh, funny cat videos lately. Um, I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder if there's any new notifications. I wonder if there's uh, an an email that I, Pastor Derek, must respond to or or, or go read. Uh, you know, all these things you can get sucked into and justify, right? and you can justify it, you can get sucked into it, and man, it was quite the wrestle with me that I didn't even realize would be a wrestle when I said, nope, I'm going to do this from sun up till sundown, and uh, I, I failed. <laughs> I, I failed miserably because I wish I could stand up here and say, oh yeah, I did great, and you should be like me, but nope. Uh, just like everybody else, when you try to do something that you feel the Lord's leading you, it, there's this struggle, right? There's this like denying myself and saying no, like Lord, you're requiring this of me. So I've had to be a lot more intentional about not wasting time, not wasting time. Lord, help me. And so that's what, that's what I've been journaling about a lot lately. And the Lord's been helping me to redeem my time instead of wasting my time and be focused on things that are actually more edifying and more for his glory than just wasting time on trying to stack my fantasy football team to beat Michelle Steiner today. <laughs> Going down, Michelle. but here's our big idea for today. Hope in Christ brings light to the priority in which we should live our lives. And it actually brings light because this LED wall is bright on that slide. It does. Hope in Christ brings light to the priority in which we should live our lives. So here's what it does. When we have hope in Christ, it acts like a spotlight That highlights and shines light on specific things in our lives that God's wanting us to prioritize and move around differently. When we truly have hope in Christ, in other words, when we begin to look through the lens of eternity, when we begin to understand this life is temporary, and yes, I am positionally in Christ, but also I need to realize one day, man, I'm not going to be on this earth, and I need to live now like eternity matters, because it does. Amen? And God will highlight things and say, this isn't important and you've made it important. This has gotten your heart more than me. This is getting your attention and your affection in an unhealthy way. And it could be something that's not even necessarily sinful. It could just be something that has become sinful because it's become a priority above the things of God. And you have to allow that hope to bring that light to that. Holy Spirit, show me those things because I hope in Christ and I want that light in me. To highlight and shine on the things you're wanting me to be transformed in and then not only does it highlight things within me not only does that light shine on things in me but guess what that hope in christ does it shines out of you as well and gives hope to other people so it's not just for you it's for others yes there is an element of the light that highlights and shines things in us but more importantly it's also impacting eternity all around you because the hope that you've now received you can now give because that light shines through you and it's about living in such a way that we have that hope in Christ that's why hope in Christ brings light to the priority in which we should live our lives because when we live life like we expect Christ to return and we expect to spend eternity with him it reorders things it makes me think differently it'll make you think a lot differently about the stuff you're going through right now Because every one of us are going through something at a certain level. There's a certain challenge or a certain obstacle or decision, or there's something that's facing us that, man, we sure wish it would go a different way or it would have went a different way, and we're kind of in the middle of it. Where do you find hope from in the middle of all of that? Well, you can try to hurry up and quickly control all of it, and that's not going to go so well for you. You can try to control outcomes, control people, feel entitled because people should or shouldn't do this, or this isn't fair, and this should or shouldn't happen this way. You can live your life with that type of mentality, but if you do, you're going to be only living within the realm of things that you can control, and you're going to be very angry. You're going to be more prone and more susceptible to offense. You're not going to be owing no man nothing except to love him. You're going to want people to owe you because you feel entitled, and you're going to have Greater susceptibility to getting hard in your heart, not only towards others, but towards God, because as you're pursuing God, he'll keep your heart soft, even towards those who may do you wrong. You see, that's the goodness of the gospel, is that it puts me in a mindset of looking at other people the way God looks at them. And instead of me looking at good guys and bad guys, I began to look at people who are saved and who have hope. And I began to look at people who are lost and who don't have hope. And it gives me greater compassion upon those who I would consider who were once an enemy of me because Scripture says I was an enemy of God. And how did God treat us as his enemy? He sent his only son while we were yet sinners to die for us. No greater love has a man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends, right? This is the love of God that's been shown to us. And what does it do, man? It brings people hope. And it gives me purpose beyond just serving self. Serving self is easy, and it's natural before you come into contact with Christ. But then when you become a Christ follower, when you become a Christian, when you have now been redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, now all of a sudden you are not your own anymore. You are submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now you are no longer obligated to sin. You are now obligated to worship him, to present your ever, every part of your being as living sacrifice to him. And this is because you have hope. So check this out, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Stop right there. He's not talking about people taking a nap. He's talking about people who have died. He said about people who have died, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. I want you to understand about what's next because he's talking to this church in Thessalonica and they have all these questions around the resurrection of the dead and they have all these questions and these challenges around this concept of the afterlife and there's certain groups of religious people that believed in an afterlife and certain groups of people that did not believe in the in in any sort of afterlife. So Paul's trying to say, Hey I don't want you to be ignorant. Now that you're in Christ, I want you to understand something. He said, because you're going to lose people in this life. There are gonna be people who it's gonna hurt There's going to be grief. Notice, he didn't say that there wouldn't be grief for the follower of Christ. He said that we just grieve differently. He said there's a different kind of grief that we have. We still experience that pain, that sadness, that loss. That's healthy. That's a way that God created us, especially when we love someone. He said, but I know you're going to grieve, but we grieve differently than those who don't have hope because we have hope. He's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed because we're not grieving like those who have no hope. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's saying, listen, Jesus is coming back. And so I understand there's grief involved, but yet you have a different kind of hope. This hope in you causes you to live differently here on the earth. It causes you to grieve differently, and it causes your faith to be stirred knowing that Jesus is coming again, knowing that he who is promised is faithful. So look backwards in the rearview mirror of all of the promises of God that he has fulfilled and know that this promise is another one that we will see as fulfilled. And that should cause me now, as a believer, to live differently, to grieve differently, to to tackle challenges and obstacles differently. Not like those who have no hope, because we have hope, and His name is Jesus. Hope in Christ creates expectancy in me. And that's what it does. I'm now expecting something that I wasn't expecting when I had no hope. And that expectancy, what does it do? It changes me, it changes the way I live. And if it's not changing the way I live then do I really have that hope? Am I really expecting anything or am I just going well I'll go through the motions? No. This is what the believer is to do is to expect, man, that core value of transformation of our pursuit. It really speaks strongly to this because a person who isn't changing or growing isn't really expecting anything. If you're not changing, if you're not growing, you need to evaluate am I expecting Because people can lose hope very easily when the enemy tries to come in and overwhelm you and overtake you and get you to doubt and get you to want to follow your own way or get you to slip into temptation to somehow find hope within yourself or in other things of the world. But we celebrated the first coming of Christ through all of our Christmas celebrations and it should remind us of the first time that he who promised is faithful but it should also remind us of the second time that he who promised to change us forever is also going to be faithful to do that, amen? So church, we have hope. When trials come, when we experience loss, when we're disappointed, we can still have hope. I'm gonna read you one more text over in Hebrews, chapter 10, in verse 23, the writer of Hebrews said, "'Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You need to underline that, highlight that in your Bible, write that down. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So this should be our role now as believers. We should be stirring one another up. To do what? To love one another, to love God, to love others, to do good works for one another and for those outside of the family of faith so that we who have hope can now share that light of hope with other people. In verse 25 he says, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another as the more that you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So the closer we get to that day, he's telling us, he's saying, hey, encourage one another, love one another, don't live like those without hope. Remember you have hope and our hope in Christ creates the priority to gather and to go bring his light. To the world. That's what it does. That's why we gather. That's why we're assembling. We're gathering because we have hope. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're gathered here out of religious obligation or tradition. Maybe you reluctantly gathered. Maybe you were curious and you wanted to come into this assembly. And maybe the hope I'm talking about you haven't quite trusted in yet because you have questions or hurt or confused. Can I tell you today that Jesus loves you right where you're at? He welcomes you right where you're at and all he asks you to do is to put your faith and your trust in him and then begin to follow him because now it's time to submit to trust under the lordship of Jesus Christ because when we repent and we say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, I need you. When we say to him, Jesus, I confess my need for you, a savior, to save me from myself, to save me from sin. He's faithful, but then it's just not a one-time thing. It's, okay, now it's time to submit to the Lordship because Jesus is both Savior and Lord, amen? You can't separate the two. You can't just want him to just be Savior without being Lord. It's, it's, It's one package deal. And so he's saying, submit, trust, obey, follow in the path that I have for you. Follow the commands that I've commanded you to. Say yes to the things I'm putting in front of you to say yes to. And as we walk and as we grow, we're being transformed. We're growing. We're clinging on to hope. We're growing in wisdom and revelation and knowledge of who He is. We're being stirred up, and we're stirring others up along the way. And it's changing us, and it's changing our homes. It's breaking chains of bondage that have been repeated in your family lineage. You know that thing that your family maybe have been notoriously known for, always having this sort of issue or that issue, because of Christ, you're part of a new family, that chain can be broken. Amen? That addiction, that pattern can be broken. That pattern of abuse, that pattern of depression, that pattern of anger, that pattern of alcoholism, that pattern of depression can be broken because you have encountered hope. And hope can change you radically. And Jesus Christ is that living hope. Amen? So Lord, help us to trust in that hope. Help us to submit to you as Lord today as we recognize our need for you. As we recognize you are enough. And if there's someone here today that needs to place their faith and hope in you, I pray that they would reach out to that hand that you are extending to them today that same faith that you're stirring in them to grab a hold to the truth of this promise, that they would confess you as Lord, as Savior, that they would repent, that they would trust your Lordship and follow in your ways. Lord, help us to be stirred up today if perhaps we walked in here heavy or as we walked in here maybe as someone who was struggling with hope. May we be reminded where our hope comes from. May we be anchored in the hope Lord, to live our lives with the right priority as we trust in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.